0: This episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Now more than ever, we have an opportunity to be a positive force in the world, to help heal the divide, to treat each other and ourselves with respect. But with so many tools out there, from meditation to physical training, proper nutrition, therapy, and so many others, we all need a little help navigating all the options. Join us as we share in-depth information, insights, and thought-provoking discussions that will help answer your questions about how to stay calm, cool, and connected during these times. Welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected, your guidebook to peace of mind. Hello, and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Bedrick. If we took a poll of one of the most frequently used words on social media right now, or at least on mental health accounts, there's a good chance that narcissism would rank pretty high people have become fascinated with the concept of narcissism and the realization of how many people in their lives really demonstrate these tendencies. When I talk with my clients about this topic, I like to really ensure that they're aware that there's a difference between somebody who is a pathological narcissist and somebody who demonstrates narcissistic tendencies. Here with us today is Dr. Quincy Gideon. Dr. Quincy is going to give us an inside look into narcissism and the profound impact that it has on our relationships. Hi, Dr. Quincy, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here with us today. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the work that you do in the field. I am a clinical psychologist and I
1: specialize in trauma recovery. So, I work with survivors of trauma or their family members to help them live again and kind of get back to themselves. So, my entire private practice, is all trauma survivors and their families and loved ones and then i have a separate training institute to help people understand trauma in a different way and that can be for caregivers teachers educators other therapists other things like that
0: such heavy but such rewarding work that you're doing that is i mean we know that trauma whether it is the covert trauma or overt trauma is really at the root of so much, so many mental health concerns. And so for you to really be able to help people to realize that and heal from it, I'm sure is incredibly rewarding for you. Incredibly. yeah, I I can't get enough of it. (laughs) So tell us in, in this field of trauma and the work that you're doing, I'm sure that narcissism is something that comes up frequently. Why do you think that narcissism is such a buzzword right now? I think that
1: people have finally kind of gotten a word for this very confusing experience that they have with other human beings. So I like what you pointed out at the beginning, that these things happen on the spectrum. All of us have some narcissistic tendencies. Some people might fall right in the middle of the spectrum where there's some narcissistic features that are a little bit more consistent. And then the other end of the spectrum is where there's a lot of harmful behaviors that happen specifically within relationships. So I think that people have finally been able to say like, what's gaslighting? Oh my God, that's what's happening to me. Why are my relationships so confusing? Why do I feel so terrible about myself? Why is my self-esteem in the toilet? And then you start to unravel that and it ends up being sometimes at least uh, in part because of the relationships that you're in, specifically if that relationship is with the narcissist. So it's just a really nice way for people to start feeling seen in their painful relationship dynamics.
0: I love that. That's so well put. And I love that you mentioned that everybody really does have some narcissistic tendencies. And really a lot of research indicates that some amount of narcissism is actually healthy and it's necessary yes. um, for us really to, you know, work towards our goals and to mm-hmm. be outgoing and confident. So mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with that. But then to your point on this other end of the spectrum, are these really harmful, these really detrimental behaviors? Mm-hmm. Tell us a little, what is gaslighting? That is also, you have just added to the buzzword list. of <laughs> that other word we see everywhere. Tell us a little bit. What is that?
1: Gaslighting is when you know that you have an experience, you either have a feeling about it, you have a memory about a specific experience, and the person that you're communicating with does something to undermine your memory in order to make you feel crazy. So it can happen in a number of different ways. It can literally be someone saying, you're crazy, that didn't happen. It can also be a lot more subtle, like uh, calm down, really ridiculous response. It really didn't happen that way. It can also be quite upsetting in that it can be threatening. So it can be like, no one will believe you if you tell them that. I'll make sure that no one believes you if you tell your real story. So it can sort of be this crazy making, my goodness, what is happening to me? And that continues to keep people in these narcissistic dynamics because they now don't trust themselves or their memory. And their focus becomes about themselves. Why don't I remember things right? Am I really off base here? Instead of really looking at their partner or the person that they're in relationship with going, ah, there's something not right here. It it turns the focus on themselves instead of where it needs to be, which is on the other person.
0: Absolutely. That is such a good point. And that is in the work that I do with my clients. It's one of the main things I point out early on is that a lot of individuals in relationship with somebody with these narcissistic, these more severe narcissistic tendencies, they really stop trusting themselves. They Don't even think that they can believe their own reality anymore, which then makes it really hard when they make this decision or are trying to make a decision to leave this unhealthy relationship Mm -hmm. because they're like, is it actually me? Is it them? Like, who's the problem? It's so, as you said, crazy making.
1: Yeah, that's on the, the one end where you're trying to decide whether you leave or not. But I also like to think about it in terms of just every day. Like, can I set this boundary or am I totally off base? So just the everyday experience within these relationships can be so confusing, so upsetting, so full of self-doubt and questioning, that truly just like, should I go to the grocery store or should I make another person? Like just boundaries and different things that are going on during the day become really complicated.
0: Yeah, such a beautiful insight. That's such a great point. What are, I know there's multiple different types of narcissism. What are maybe just the top few most common?
1: The two that are most validated in research are grandiose narcissism. These are the ones that we can like really see. They're big in the world, a grandiose sense of self. They really are demanding, entitled. Then there's more of the, it used to be called covert. Now it's called vulnerable narcissist. This is someone that still requires a lot of attention, a lot of things pointed towards them, but they kind of feel a little bit like the tantruming. All of the time, it's less grandiose. It's a little bit more thin-skinned, but it still has that undercurrent of demand. I demand the attention. I demand uh, that something is coming towards me at all times.
0: And that can be such a confusing type of narcissism because we also see this type of narcissist in the helping profession quite a bit. So whether they're in mental health or as a pastor or a teacher And so they're often really highly regarded by society, which can be incredibly confusing.
1: It can be. Yeah. Talk about you put gaslighting inside of a relationship and you've got a vulnerable narcissistic dynamic where that person feels mostly like the victim of the world around them.
0: And you've got a disaster zone. Uh, Absolutely, confusing space. So, tell me what what is some work that you do with clients? So, when maybe they're realizing that they ha- they're in a partnership with a narcissist, where do you start with that?
1: I start with some general reality testing. I just slow them down and start talking about what really happened. I try to put as much space in between how they're telling me about the event and their quick emotional reaction of disregarding their feelings. Um, I try to give them a little bit of space to just sort of think and reconsider um, and allow me to maybe speak into that for them. Maybe allow me to ask some questions like, "That, that seems like it felt really terrible. Could it just feel terrible with us here today so we can figure that out together? So I try to give space, number one. And I also try to question things in a really compassionate way. I think that that's the most helpful way for anyone to start regarding themselves as important and their feelings as important and then start questioning the dynamics that they're in.
0: And then even boundaries, I'm sure, where do you usually head? How do you even help somebody, you know, who's been in this type of relationship? And so boundaries have likely been so incredibly violated. Mm -hmm. Where do you start with boundaries?
1: I start with just an assessment. I came up with an assessment a few years ago around rigid and loose boundaries, and we try to scale those with patients so that whenever they, where I'm asking them questions, they're already kind of cued into, oh, this is one of those moments where I had really loose boundaries. What typically happens is they'll have loose boundaries there, but they'll get really rigid about boundaries somewhere else in a reaction to try to protect themselves. Right. So we start talking about how that plays
0: out and just trying to find a middle ground for them. Yeah. And that's such a good, good point. We see a lot of the even codependent behaviors swing to the counter dependent as you're describing where maybe being too porous and then so rigid as a way to compensate. So yeah, that's a really good point. So you had mentioned something about the gray rock technique. Tell me a little bit. What is that? Okay, so gray rock technique is one of
1: my favorite things to use when you're in relationship with a narcissist that really gets a lot of energy from the chaos, the confusion, the high emotional energy that might happen in an interaction. Gray rock technique is simply becoming the most boring person in their life. So if they were to react to something, you say, okay, and you move on. If they were to kind of pull at you to react in a certain way, you just say, Okay. Not not that big of a deal. You literally become the most boring person. Your plans become boring as far as you report them to them. Your um, activities become boring. Your reactions become very boring. You just become the most gray rock person in their lives. What that tends to do is that it pulls the attention somewhere else.
0: And it's, and in a lot of ways, gives that person their power back, right? Yes. They are no longer providing the reaction that that other individual is seeking. How empowering would that be?
1: It's so empowering. And just think about the emotional energy that you get back. Yeah. From that. If you're not being pulled into that dynamic, suddenly your old activities might start feeling fun again. But why? Because you have more energy to participate in those.
0: Right. Absolutely. So When we think about support with narcissism, what like what do you usually suggest that people do? So if let's say they have recognized I'm in a really unhealthy relationship and it's time to move on. What type of supports do you usually encourage them to put around themselves before doing that?
1: I support groups are really great for this. I'm a huge advocate of therapy, sometimes especially a trained therapist. Uh, a therapist can kind of help you predict what reactions might need, get a plan in place. If there's safety concerns and there sometimes are with narcissistic relationships, then that person can really help you think through all of those options for you. So professional support is really helpful. Peer support is really helpful. I find that in groups where other people, other survivors of narcissistic relationships are relating to one another, suddenly you have like an entire community of people that can provide childcare and meals and a place to go. All of those things that are really helpful when you're dealing with someone that's not only narcissistic, but maybe a little bit punishing as
0: well. Yeah, such a good point. This is such good information. Thank you so much. Where can of our send you? Where, where are you at on social media? On social media, I mainly hang out on
1: Instagram at Dr. Quincy.
0: Okay. And then are there other website or where else can you be found? I have a private practice in Los Angeles. So we can
1: see anyone in uh, California and that's at WovenTraumaTherapy.com. So people can find us there. If you're looking to just learn, we have lots of courses that we put out every couple of months and that's at Traumastery. It's like monastery, but for trauma survivors, traumastery.com.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Quincy. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Please make sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram, and also make sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that others can discover our content as well. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected.